From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a VinePair Podcast Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations so we can explore more of the stories and individuals within the drinks world. And today I have the pleasure of talking to two such individuals, Maggie Tillman, who is the co-owner at Alta Kalina Vineyard, and Russell Frome, who's the owner and winemaker at Herman Story Wines. Maggie, Russell, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited. This is uh, we're going to talk about Paso Robles, uh, which is a wine region that I know a little bit about from uh, you know drinking the wines, but have to cop to right from the start. Have never been to, and so let's start with that very thing, Russell. Where where are we? Uh, we're we're halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles, right on the coast, which okay. is uh, uh, we we are really in. I think the best growing region of California. We don't get as much rain as north. And uh, we don't get a lot of tropical moisture from the south, and our soils are really great. It really makes a great spot. And then our coastal influence keeps the night school. And so it's really a little diamond. I'm surprised that uh, it wasn't more established way back in the day. It's kind of in its infancy stage. It's uh, becoming more and more well-known. Great. Very cool. And and I want to get a little bit of backstory from each of you, kind of how you made your way here. And Maggie, let's start. As it turns out, you and I are both alumni of the same university, which is uh, rather far from Paso Robles. So how did you make your way to the region and and get involved in winemaking? Yeah, we both are NYU grads, it turns out, which is not only go Violets, all those sports, go Violets, is not only (laughs) geographically really far away, but also there are no plants. There's no ag school at a school <laughs> like that. And so... Yeah, squirrels were about the most exciting wildlife we had. Pigeons. And pigeons. Oh, yeah. gross. Yeah. I just substitute gophers and ground squirrels, and it's a okay. similar level of grossness. Gotcha. You know. So I ended up in Paso Robles because of my family. My family moved to San Luis Obispo County in the late 90s. And they were, my parents worked at a small computer company while my dad had been a home winemaker for years and years. So since the early seventies, it wasn't until the purchase of our property in Paso in 2003 that we actually got into the industry in a real way. And I made my way there in 2008, sort of following the family business and Mm -hmm. the combination of that and really not knowing what I was going to do after college. And it turns out wine is a good place to end up. Yeah, I can agree that that I didn't have wine making or grape growing, but uh, I kind of also ended up in wine, so I understand how uh, how it can work that way. Russell, how about you? How how did you get into the wine industry in in Paso? Well, I was going to Cal Poly and slow, and uh, I never I've never taken a wine class in my life, not even a sensory, nothing. I did ag business and crop science, so I kind of went the same way as Maggie. You just start to you start to learn uh, all the stuff and. And uh, I got a lot of on-the-job on training at a big custom crush place in Santa Maria that I worked at in the early 2000s. And so they allowed me to make my own wine there. The Miller family uh, down in Santa Maria that owns Biondecito, they allowed me to make my own wine in 2001. And that's where I started. I started with four barrels and then just kept getting a little more grapes here and there and built it up and then moved to Paso 10 years ago because that's where all the customers were. They were all there. Mm. That's when the... The the, uh, the 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 people started really, you know, the wine spectator, a lot of publications were talking up Paso and it really kind of built it up. And now it's just on fire. It's crazy. But uh, I still live in San Luis Obispo. And then I, I, I buy grapes from all over the place. So it's kind of a central location for me. It works out. 
Yeah. So, so as far as, I mean, one of the things I think that, that will come through in this conversation is that one of the kind of strengths of Paso is its diversity and the fact that it's not kind of solely dedicated to any particular variety, but maybe for those of us who are um, a little bit less familiar, um, Maggie, can you kind of give us just kind of an overview of what the, what the appellation is like and kind of what some of the dominant varieties are? Paso Robles as a growing region is pretty big geographically. It covers a lot of ground. And among the most widely planted varieties, Cabernet is definitely up there. And there are some producers that are really sort of carrying that torch these days. So you can find really great Paso Cabs nationally. But Rhone varieties have really become a niche that's really strong for Paso Robles. Rhone's, you know, Grenache's, Syrah's, a lot of those white wine varieties grow incredibly well in our area. There's also sort of a history of Zin, but for both Russell and I, Rhone's are, are what we're about. Gotcha. And, and Russell kind of, you know, as Maggie mentioned, this emphasis on Rhone varieties, what is it about the Paso Robles that makes it um, well suited for, for Grenache, for Syrah, for any of the other varieties that kind of fall into that category? Right. right. Uh, a lot of what I had said earlier about just the climate and the, prox- the, the proximity of the ocean and the soils are really uh, a bonus. We have these really, uh, really uh, rocky soils, the high acid soils, and they hold acid. Uh, we get really hot in the day, a little too hot of late, but we get hot in the day and Grenache. A lot of varieties need heat. And there's a lot of varieties that are grown all over the world. Like in Bordeaux, it doesn't get too hot. Here it gets hot, so we make a different Cabernet, a big, ripe, massive California-style Cabernet, and that's what a lot of people like. If you want to get a, you, you can make all kinds of wines here in Paso. You can pick earlier and make a, a more of a French-style wine, or you can wait, which I do. Uh, I wait until the grapes get uh, uh, a little on the riper side and when they have full flavor, and uh, that's that's when I pick them. But uh, you can get that. In a lot of areas, you can't get that. A lot of cool areas, the vines just shut down and they don't want to get that higher sugar. So, okay. and, and again, that helps by not having as much rain as Northern California and then the soils help. And then that, that uh, ocean influence really helps the, keep the nights cool and the grapes rest at night. It's like I always say, a great vintage is like a slow braising of meat. Low and okay. slow all the way through. And that's what we have here. It's really, it's, you know, Napa is the most known right uh, uh area of california but Paso is uh, it's it's very hard it, we don't have a whole lot of bad vintage it's hard to say like and i, I bet you maggie could say the same thing like what vintage do do i remember that's been bad not, not very many and uh there's some challenging ones but and then there's some fabulous ones, and the fabulous ones are more than the challenging ones, so that's only good for the consumer for sure and, you know, maybe Maggie also, and I mentioned it a moment ago that it's a, a kind of a large appellation. How how distinctive or different are sort of the various, uh, you know, kind of uh, pockets within it, you know, is, is even generalizing about Paso as a whole kind of silly because we're talking about some pretty different growing conditions with, you know, within smaller areas within the, the ABA? If you zoom all the way out, I think what Russell keeps mentioning is basically this diurnal temperature swing, right? It's super warm in the day. We can get stuff ripe, but we can keep acid levels because it cools down at night because we're not that far from the ocean. So that applies across the entire region. But there are 11 sub-ABAs. There are 11 Mm -hmm. sub-regions within the Paso Robles region where you can really drill down to soil type, 
um, is it hillier? Is it more flat? What does the water source look like? And you can absolutely find pockets where certain things grow a little better or it's really, you know, sort of more, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's okay. More suited to those varieties. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, basically they, like, yeah and, you, yeah. and in order to back in, when they apply for all these AVAs, they have to prove that their little area is a microclimate or soil is special and different from everyone else's. And that, and, and to have that many AVAs in such a small area is crazy. But at the same time, the heat is a key and like I was saying, that that cool night lets the gra- grapes rest, and then and then a lot of it's based on soil types. There are so many. We're planting a vineyard in New York Mountain on 20 acres. There's probably five different soil types. It's unreal. Gotcha. It's so it's amazing. It's and York Mountain, really. technically, York Mountain's a separate EVA, right, Russell? It's it has a shares a property line kind of with Paso, but it's its yeah. own thing. Yeah, it was established in 1981. And it was the smallest AVA in California for a long time. And of the sub-AVAs, not to get on York Mountain, but of the sub-AVAs, we're the only one that doesn't have to say Paso Robles down here. We can just say York Mountain and claim it. Everyone else has to say like Willow Creek District, Paso Robles. And so it's a little different, but that's just a... I'm I'm real York Mountain proud lately, so don't don't let me get, <laughs> don't, let me, don't let me get caught up. And no worries. One of the other pieces about the sub-AVAs and the fact that Paso Robles is a pretty geographically diverse region, it makes the elevator pitch a lot harder. You know, if I say Napa, you think Cab. If I say Santa Barbara, you think Pino. And if I say Paso Robles, you might think Cab, you might think Grenache, you might think Syrah. Like, it makes the, I think it's a lot more consumer friendly from that perspective, but it takes a little more work to come and get familiar with what we're good at and what there really is going on in the area because again there's no one calling card which as growers is really appealing and as winemakers it's really appealing but it is a little bit tougher for consumers to figure out where to start yeah so i do want to get to a little later talk about kind of visiting the region and what what tourism there looks like but i want to just talk a little bit more about the wines in general so i think another thing that's interesting to me about the kind of totality of past rebels is that you know it's not to my understanding it's not a wine region that's like dominated by a few big producers. You know, I'm here in Washington state and Washington state is in a lot of ways dominated by Chateau Saint-Michel. I mean, we have lots and lots of wineries, but, but they produce a lot of the wine that comes out of the state. So, so, you know, is that perception kind of accurate and, and what does having a, and if so, what does having kind of a network of smaller producers mean for, for the region? It really keeps it really grassroots and old school. And I think Napa was the same way back in the day where you had all these little small producers and you know, 10 years ago, every small producer in town would meet on Friday at Via Creek and have cocktails. Remember, Maggie? We'd all oh, yes, drink, and uh, Wednesdays. We, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Wednesdays, too. And that's really when it was the Wild West, I think. Uh, now we have, you know, we have Tin City, a lot more younger people getting into it. And, it's in, and then you see this kind of changing tide where, you know, uh, we're getting noticed by the Napa and all that. And I, uh, I, I, you know, at the same time, I still love the fact that uh, there's some there's a whole slew of vineyards that sell just to people like us, and we can get a few grapes, and they don't wanna and they don't wanna have their their own label. But that that's always a romantic thing that vineyard owners always want to have. They want to have their own label, and so it's it, it's uh yeah that that find and and right now finding great grapes is is really hard to find. Gra- 
people that want to really go in and do the crazy farming and get it all, uh, there's very little available, which can only tell you that uh, uh, everyone is uh, doing all right. The wines are being well received in the market. So yeah, but it, it it is still it's still it's still old school here. That's the nice part, and I hope it stays like that as long as it can. Yeah. I think it will for a while. I feel like you're you help with that, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> right, right you help, you help keep it where it was yeah in a good way and it's <laughs> i i think there's so many small producers it just makes it fun it makes it the community vibe in paso is super special and you know for the most part we know each other we've worked together for a long time we have partied together it's <laughs> it's fun like it's yeah. just a fun group of people and there are a handful of larger producers so you know, I look at it as a chance for folks in areas where you're not going to find Alta Colina or Herman's story. You might find something else from Paso Robles. So you start okay. to learn about the area and then eventually you find us, which is great. Yeah. Maybe all the young winemakers have, have their own hangout. and We just don't know about it. <laughs> well, I was going to kind of ask if, you know, if one of the strengths of the region, because it's a little bit, you know, because you're dealing with some smaller scale production is that it, it is easier for people to get their foot in the door. But at the same time, Russell, you know, you just mentioned that there's, it's hard to get grapes because there's a lot, there is all that demand. I don't know. Is it, is it a place where someone who would be interested in setting up shop can still kind of do that? Or, or is it too hard to kind of get your foot in the door? You know, you, you can get in and, and the best way to get in is slow. You know, sure. uh, people think they want to come in and make a thousand cases. They're great marketers and you can make all, the, there's a saying, you can make all the wine you want. If you can't sell it, you're in trouble. But um, you could still, there's, you know, it's a lot about relationships and a lot of people, I, I have four or five, five now employees that I allow to make wine here. They either pinch a little grapes off me or, or get their own contracts and they're still able to get their own contracts and find it. Um, there's some people that just, you know, you, you have a relationship, you know, it, it's a small town, you meet somebody, somebody's in, that comes in here and tastes and they have a ton of Grenache in their back four acres and they sell it and, and, and there's still a lot of that. Um, but you can still, you, you can still get in. It's just finding a place to do it really hard to make the wines, you know, uh, that's, you find all the equipment and all that. Uh, that's a tough part, but I, I think you can do it. A lot of work. Yeah. I feel like that community piece, like it's still, you know, if you work a couple harvests and you get to know the area and you really engage with the community and you're cool, people want to help you. They, they want to see you succeed and do cool stuff and grow in the industry. Like Russell has, like you said, a bunch of his employees make wine. I have a couple employees who make wine out of my facility. And it's it's certainly the barrier to entry is a lot lower in Paso than it is up north. Like sure. no question. But it's not to say it's that easy. You've got to mean it. You've got to sure. do the work. Right. You, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm my harvest my my harvest t-shirt for Herman Story is uh, harvest Herman Story Harvest 2021. Uh, life is short. Start your own wine brand. <laughs> I guess that that says it, huh? Um, speaking of, I want to talk about one one more kind of thing in the vineyards, and then I want to talk a little bit about kind of visiting the region and what that's like. Are there some like uh, oddball kind of fun varieties? Because I, I think one of the cool things about a lot of these California regions is like someone decides they really want either recently or long in the past gets a wild hair and decides to plant some random stuff. Like, is there any of that kind of just varieties that people might be surprised to find in Paso? For sure. Russell, you're more out buying fruit and stuff. Is there, have you seen right. anything weird and cool lately? Tanat's making a little push. Okay. 
in the market, Tanat, uh, Tempranillo. Yeah, Tempranillo, uh, it grows really good, especially in like Peachy Canyon area. Uh, Cab's always king. Um, what else? A few Italian, there's always somebody that wants to do it. I'm trying to do an Italian wine, but I... I mean, there are a few Rhone producers, like Talvis is doing the deep dive, so they now, I'm not sure they're all in bottle, but they do every single Rhone variety. So the weird ones you've never heard of and can't pronounce, and I can't even remember the names of, you you can you can find them, which is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, you want your Bourbonk or whatever, you can get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Can you spell it? I can't. Uh, I can, but we're not going to, we're not going to waste podcast time with Perfect. that. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so uh, I will say, uh, I, as mentioned at the top, I've never been to Paso uh, uh, in any sense, um, but terrible. I know, well, you know, uh, we had a whole pandemic that caused some, some disruptions to my travel plans for 2020 okay. and 2021. Uh, but anyhow, um, I was going to ask, you know, for someone who does want to start planning a trip, let's start Maggie with this question. Like, where does someone fly to? How how do they find themselves in Paso? And then like kind of where do they maybe stay? And then we'll talk about visiting wineries, dining, all that stuff. Yeah. So like Russell mentioned right at the beginning, we're directly between Los Angeles and San Francisco. So we're uh, with traffic, with not bad traffic, about three and a half hours from each. Okay. So if you don't mind driving, you can fly into SFO or LAX. If you want to really get local, you can fly into San Luis Obispo, okay. which is 30 minutes south of Paso Robles. So you fly into slow. They've got six or eight direct flights, some of which are useful. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it's it t- takes a little bit of work. One of the reasons why Paso is nice is it's not that busy it's a little bit off the beaten path and the way we keep it that way is because it's a pain in the butt to get to so I see. you know but you can fly into slow rent a car and there's at this point a lot of accommodation options you can like on my property we have vintage trailers people can camp there's a bunch of hotels in town there's super high-end options there's amazing vrbos you know you can if you just throw a Google on it, it won't take long to go down the rabbit okay. hole and find some options. And and Russell, as far as kind of like what the evolution of of wine tourism has looked like in in Paso, like is it you know as you mentioned, you know, a decade or so ago, you started to get more kind of press, and and I imagine with that comes more tourism. Like, are there all the things that kind of have you seen a growth in? You know, Maggie mentioned accommodations, but what about like dining and things like that? Yeah, definitely. The dining scene's gotten a lot better. Uh, Most wineries, I will tell you, if you're coming here, most wineries have gone to the appointment system. So you're definitely, you can set up your whole trip before you get there, really. I was always, uh, I kind of ran my place a little loose. I I still have that reputation. I still do run it pretty loose, but uh, (laughs) we've, we've got a system of having people come in and and they, we have appointments, and it's really helped us. It's helped us give a better experience to the customers. We have longer, and we don't have this big rush, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, it's, it is better, and you can set up your whole day. Uh, there's a couple cheese shops in town where you can get cheese plates. Sometimes nice. uh, you can request them if you call us early. We have uh, the light show. Look up the oh. ser- ser- uh, Serens. How do you say it, Maggie? Sensorio. It is. Sens- Aria. It's really cool. It's legitimately really, really cool. Yeah, awesome. we have Vina Robles Amphitheater, a bunch of shows there. Um, and that's another thing that you can do. We're, we're 15 minutes from the ocean. If you want to go over and uh, go to the beach in the morning and go wine tasting in the afternoon, you can do that. 
Um, it, it is like not just the best great, great growing region, but it's the best. Uh, you have everything. You can go down to San. I live in San Luis. It's pretty temperate down there. It's not as hot as Paso, and that's only 30 minutes. So you can go down there, have lunch. You can even stay down there and then stay down there for a couple of days in Paso. It's just an awesome area all in yeah, all. You can spend three, four, five days, no problem, especially if you throw in something like, you know, brunch at the beach or cruise down to San Luis for a day or whatever. But some of the extra stuff like the restaurants that we have in town, Sensorio and Vina Robles are awesome. They're cool. world-class destination level things. And and as far as the vibe, so, I mean, I think another thing that's really true is that um, the perception from the outside and I mean, I can confirm some of this from my trips is, you know, you go to Napa and with some exceptions, you're getting a very, you know, it's a managed experience. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're probably tasting, you know, if you're just a, if you're just a sort of your average wine consumer who makes an appointment or whatever, you're tasting with someone who works in the tasting room and is, is trained and, you know, and, and all that, but you're not really talking to anyone who has a hand in making the wine. You're probably paying a lot of money. Um, and, and it's a, you know, it's, it's a kind of experience. And obviously there are people who really, really love that. And that's what they want to get when they go to wine country. What is the, I mean, obviously everyone's experience and everyone's tasting room is going to be different. You know, it sounds like Russell, you kind of have maybe not that approach. Um, although I don't want to say like, what is the general vibe? Like if you're, if you're a wine tourist, do you get to talk to people in the, in the tasting rooms who made the wine or, or is it, you know, kind of more Napa-esque? It's definitely not Napa-esque in terms of the vibe. That's feedback we get all the time. And just like knowing my friends in the local industry, it's it's super laid back. And it's a great place for people who have done a ton of wine travel. And if someone has thought about it, but always found it a little bit intimidating, come to Paso. You'll have a great time. Right. There's a lot of people, not to toot our horn, but like Maggie and I, that you can find us in the tasting room all the time. Not every day, but yeah. um, you can find us a lot of times. And, and you know, I, I think... That uh, lend a lot to do with the fact that we started, we did this our own. We didn't make money somewhere else. Like you were talking about the entry into the business. Uh, we did this a long time ago and it's a long path. I, I remember from the beginning um, and I remember when Maggie and I were just making a little bit of wine. Now we have day jobs and, and we work all day long on stuff. And it's like, uh, there's, there's always, you know, there, and, 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 we have that style because I always say I retired. I got a job at a winery, so I don't want to. <laughs> I, I don't want to be pretentious and snooty. I just want to hang out. Um, yeah. There are some wineries, of course, everywhere you have you have people that have their own style and their own image they want to uphold. And there's a few of those in Paso. Generally, we all just you know it, it is it is chill. And a lot of people that have been drinking wine for a long time kind of says it is like Napa or something a long time ago, thirty years ago. The yeah. winemakers were in the taste rooms, and uh, I, I love say. I love working in the I love working in the taste room. I mean, uh, I, I have a good time in there. Can't do it all the time, but I have other stuff that that is fun. And and we're just it's just a much more approachable area. Hope, yeah, like I said, I hope it stays like that for a long time. But if it doesn't get here now, come now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't miss out. Trip. <laughs> and it's also passes the kind of place where, like, at least for me, just you know, if someone listens to this and they think, what's up? Where do I want to go? Just like call me or send me an email. And whoever picks up the phone is going to be nice to you. And they're going to ask you what kind of wine you like, what kind of vibe you're interested in. And I think it's safe to say everyone who works in the wine industry in Paso Robles, we want people to come and have a good time and want to come back. 
And that's, just, you know, not everybody wants to come and drink my Roan. Some people want to go and spend more money or less money or have a fancier facility or be in Tin City or whatever. And I am truly from my soul happy to try to connect people with the kind of experience they want to have because Paso has it and it's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, that seems like a really lovely place to to leave it. Um, Russell, Maggie, thank you both so much for your time, for your insight. And I look forward to getting myself down there, uh, probably flying into San Luis Obispo. A three and a half hour drive doesn't sound too fun to me. I get to do enough driving as is. Drive. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, again, thank you both so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to checking out more of the wine uh, as time goes on. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again. Today's episode is brought to you by Paso Robles Wine Country. Paso Robles is located along the central coast of California and is stunningly beautiful. Just a few miles from the Pacific Ocean, it has warm days and cool nights, and the wines from Paso Robles reflect that sense of place and capture its elegance, energy, and beauty. To learn more or to plan a trip, visit PasoWine.com.